Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. A one, two, three, four. Thanks for listening to this podcast produced by Diddy TV. Visit DiddyTV.com for more exclusive on-demand content or download the official Diddy TV app from your app store today. Welcome to Insights, folks, where today we're bringing you a one-on-one conversation between Amy Wright and Jonathan Russell, founding member of acclaimed Seattle-based band, The Head and the Heart. The Head and the Heart have just released their fifth studio album, Every Shade of Blue, on Reprise slash Warner Records, followed by an appearance on Jimmy Kimmel Live. And now they've embarked on a North American tour with support from Jade Bird, Dawes, Shaky Graves, and his Golden Messenger on select dates. In the mix of their busy schedule, Jonathan was able to carve out some time to visit with Amy to discuss the new album, how they formed and what the band's chemistry is like after a decade of action, and a whole lot more. So, kick back and enjoy this informative conversation on The Head and the Heart. From Diddy TV, this is Insights. Oh, look! There you are. <laughs> um, I, oh, and, you have, and you have a beautiful painting in the background. Yeah, I just had to do a little panic clean real quick my uh, my bedroom, but the, the painting saves me every time. Yeah. <laughs> you can shove everything under your desk. That's what I do. All <laughs> right now <laughs> i mean see that's why they have me in a corner over here because you don't see the rest of the room yeah <laughs> studio magic studio yeah. magic exactly and 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 back behind us you'll see um if you look out the window occasionally you'll see a trolley that goes by oh yeah so, where, okay where, yeah. where are we we're, we're in memphis and um and, and actually where are you? are you are you in seattle or some other place oh so, no i uh i'm in richmond virginia Oh, um, that's where is, you're originally from, right? Or somewhere in that area. It is. Yes. And I, my wife and I just recently moved back a couple of months ago. Um, we sort of, she's from the Bay area. So we were living in San Francisco and spent the last five or six years there. And my mom is here and I've got, I've got a really good friend, like friend group here. And I just missed it. It just feels like the right pivot after it was a strange couple of years, and coming back here, it feels very grounding. Yes. Um, so, yeah, I mean, not too, I feel at least weather-wise and pace-wise, not too far, not too much of a difference from Tennessee. You know, I, I uh, lived in D.C. for oh, yeah. many, many years. Yeah, so I know that whole area, and I've been to Richmond many times, and the Tidewater area, and uh and then eventually, because I was living right on Capitol Hill, 
Um, yeah. We ended up um, moving back to Memphis, where yeah. where um, where I was from. My husband's from California, and uh-huh. but it did feel very grounding and also really a better pace. Yeah. Uh, than uh, than being in D.C. all the time because it's really crazy up there, and I love it for what it is and all yeah. the cool places you can go and do things you can do there. But it is really nice to have that kind of little bit slower pace. Yeah. I enjoy it thoroughly. My wife is still acclimating. Um, <laughs> I think the pace is nice. I think it's like in San Francisco, you kind of get, you get pretty spoiled with food and restaurants and oh yeah, and the hours in which things are open every day of the week. Um, so with the slower pace comes, some, you know, some limitations, but, um, I think it's all worth it. I love being back here. So when you grew up, we're going to get to head in the heart here in just a second, because did you grow up, um, in that area and were you playing music and what were you doing as a kid? Yeah, as a kid. So I was born and raised in Jacksonville, Florida. Well, Orange Park, Florida, if anyone knows the area, it's just the other side of the St. John's river. Um, And I lived there until I was about 12, 12 and a half. And that's when I moved to Fredericksburg, Virginia, which you've been living, spending time in DC. I was about an hour south of DC um, and middle, for middle school and high school. And I was kind of a late bloomer when it, if it comes to music. I, to be honest with you, a lot of my high school friends are still like taken aback at where my life turned. Um, I think maybe my senior year is when I first started like getting this sort of wild hair that I wanted to be a musician. Um, when quite a few of my friends who were musicians started out when they were like 12, you know, or, or even earlier, some cases, I'm or sure. Even earlier. Yeah. And like just shredding in their parents' basements. And I, I grew up skateboarding a lot. Um, and I grew up kind of like a, just like Huckleberry Finn, Tom Sawyer, like, especially in Florida, I was just like a swamp kid. I just, I lived for fishing and making trails and playing in nature, um, which, you know, I've, I've had some, um, I've had quite a few fans of the band, the head and the heart, um, kind of point out to me that I tend to write a lot about the wind or about my imagery seems to come from a lot of natural scenes um and i hadn't really traced that or tracked that myself but it does add up i mean my whole upbringing was really i was able to be a kid in nature you know i was really i was always like i was in the areas i grew up in my parents felt comfortable and i was just letting my brother and i like return at dark you know when it got dark um and i feel very fortunate for that now i've met quite a few people um you know, who've grown up in like a city like Los Angeles or, um, you know, just larger cities. And they just, they had a very different type of an upbringing, um, not good or bad, just different. And, but for me being always being around nature and having that option of getting kind of lost in the woods and finding my way, I think it, I think it sort of shaped my, my voice, my vernacular, the things I was drawn to, the comparisons I like to draw in songwriting. Um, I'm just an observer, really. That's kind of, that's what I was doing. I was always writing things long before I knew I would add them, put them against music or song. I was always just jotting down observations and ideas. Um, And then eventually I learned, I taught myself how to play acoustic guitar and piano. 
and just started meeting other musicians through open mics. Um, I mean, it's kind of just... So is your happy place still to go fishing, to go hiking and getting out in nature? I mean, do you still yeah. get to do that song? That's a really, gosh, that's a good question. And, and as soon as you asked it, I was like, I haven't done those things in a long time. Although, see, I'm hearing that you want to do them, see? I think you're <laughs> spot on. I have a fishing pole. My fishing pole is just in the hallway out there. I do need to get a license again. Um, well, I've just returned back to Virginia. It's been about a month and a half now. So I think the, you know, the environment is definitely in its like it's springtime. I mean, it's beautiful um, everywhere around here right now. So, and I think tomorrow there's like a cleanup day in the park. Maybe that'll be a catalyst. We're going to, I live right across the street um, from this big open field, this open park. Um, it's gorgeous. And there's like a, a cleanup day through the community. So my wife and I are going to go try and meet some people and pick up a rake, see what happens. So maybe that'll be my catalyst to get back into the, in, into the nature. Well, you're certainly in a good place for it. Virginia has a lot of great really rivers awesome. and lakes and mountains and all those fun things. Um, so when you were, what age did you think I'm going to move to Seattle? Cause that's where you guys met, right? Correct. So, uh, so how did that come about? Yeah. Um, I was 23 at the time and, um, Basically, from the age of 14, I was working in restaurants. Um, so, yeah, like nine years later, I was still working in restaurants. And um, a friend of mine who had gone to college and sort of like done the whole thing, of like getting out of college and not necessarily knowing what to do next and started working at this restaurant that I was at. And she was kind of like hitting the wall and like, it's time I become an adult and use my degree. And, and I have this cousin in Seattle and I'm going to move there. And I, I had, around that same time had been kind of on the, the waning end of a band that I was trying to pursue and make, make happen. And I just kept having that like, age-old cliche of like band members not taking it seriously or dropping out and going and going on tour with a different band. I couldn't keep this band together and I was kind of fed up and I was like, I, I need to find, I need to find people who are as dedicated as I am and, and I need to find a city that has um, eyes on it. Richmond, Virginia, I love it to death. And the music scene has changed quite a bit. This was, this was 2008, so it's been quite a, quite some time. Um, but at the time, the attitude was kind of just like, let's just have fun and, you know, good enough is good enough. And, and um, for me, I wanted more out of that. And so I was already sort of like working on an EP. I was recording through friends um, on, a, on a dishwasher's budget. And then I, my friend said she's going to move to Seattle and um, she's just going to like get in her car and drive cross country. And I was just like, this is my this is my opening here. Like, let me I was like, Nicole, please. I will give you all the money I have, which is not a lot, but I'll give you, oh, there's the trolley. I was like, I will give you all the money I have. And I, my, her parents and I were close. So of course they, they were like, please go with Nicole. This is, I would much rather have you with her as she's traveling across the country. Um, so that was kind of my catalyst. And that was, honestly, it was, it was almost a random, the reasoning for Seattle was that's where I had a ride. You know, at that point I, I would have been willing to go anywhere. Um, I just needed, I knew I needed to find a different location, find a place where musicians were a little more hungry and dedicated. I mean, and, do you ever, do you ever think about that fork in the road in the sense that 
it just happened to be random that you ended up in Seattle. And of course, you meet these incredible musicians, but it could have been Phoenix or someplace else. I know, I know, or Chicago or Memphis. Mm -hmm. I mean, or Memphis. There are plenty of places that are extremely well known, or Chicago or New York or Philly or, you know, I mean, I think about that a lot, actually. I mean, maybe that sounds obvious, but I mean, it's because another thing that I could not have predicted is that Seattle, Washington, especially at the time, it had, I've never, I've never before or like since um, been in a city or felt a presence that Seattle, Washington had. I mean, the infrastructure for music there for, for, for beginners, for sort of the mid-level and even for like people who are like now doing very successful things in music, that Seattle, that city really embraces all of the above and has such a great, I mean, they had, it was sort of this like blossoming um, like blogger and like magazine and zine um, scene there. And there was just like all kinds of people writing about music, supporting music. There's a local radio station there, um, KEXP. It, it just, it, it, I, I couldn't have fallen into a better situation and I had no idea. I mean, I, I to be honest with you, I, outside of Nirvana, I, I knew very little about the city. Um, I knew of Sub Pop, which is the indie label that we eventually ended up getting signed to. Um, but I knew very little. And yes, I mean, I think about it all of the time, how I could have wound up a zillion other places. And um, yeah. Because how did you meet the other players then? Were they already yeah. there? And Yes. So um, <clears throat> one thing I started doing pretty much immediately was just looking out like looking for open mics to go and play it was a good way to get out to meet people to meet musicians to hopefully get somebody to buy you a beer because i was so broke by the time we got there i mean <laughs> we had no money left we were we were digging into her cousin's like piggy bank it was sad within a couple of weeks we got we got work we got jobs but at first i mean it was you know slim pickings and like um so yeah, so I, I was my ticket. I, I could play piano and I could, you know, kind of write some songs and, and we would go to these open mics. I'd drag my friend Nicole with me and um, we ended up meeting friends that way. And, and that's kind of how I, that's where I met, I think every single person in this band I met through that open mic. It's cause it was a place called Connor Byrne in the, in the um, neighborhood of Ballard. Other than the drummer, Tyler and I went to high school together in Fredericksburg. So he had already, I had already sort of established a relationship with um, and moved to Seattle, put a band together within the span of about nine months and started working on a few songs, um, sent those back to Tyler. He was like, okay, this feels like worth moving across the country for. So I flew back home to Richmond, helped him drive back out to Seattle and his Volvo station wagon. And, um, uh, and that was kind of it. I mean, it was, <clears throat> I'm, 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 I'm compressing it a little bit, but to be honest with you, it really did kind of happen fast. It sounds um, like it happened fast. And, and obviously you were signed to sub pop, but how did that happen? Um, did you already have an album out or you were playing shows and you hadn't put an album out? How, how did that happen? Yeah, so we had, we had self-recorded and self-released our first record, um, which was the, first record you can now find through Sub Pop. They essentially, they licensed it from us and they released it themselves. I think we added 
we added a song. I think we added Rivers and Roads. Rivers and Roads, I don't think was on our, our self-released. Um, but we were, I don't know, we were, we were one of those sort of like, we were one of those successful stories of a band independently doing it quite well. We had sold 10,000 copies of our own CD out of just the trunks of our cars before having managers, before having a label. Um, I mean, we had we had really great people around us who were sort of working pro bono until we, you know, were making any money and we did have a good support system, but um, yeah, we, um, I think that's one thing, you know, Sub Pop was, um, Sub Pop was sort of on the latter end of labels that were coming at us, kind of catching wind of what was happening with this band called The Head and the Heart. And quite a few majors came in at first. And one thing about this band that I will never, um, that I will always be grateful for is there's six members and everyone brings something else to the table, you know, whether it's musically or just the way their brain thinks, their their expertise. Some people are better in business, some people better with color and merch ideas and video ideas or songwriting or whatever it is. But between the six of us, we were pretty, pretty right out of the gate, pretty, um, I don't know. I think we had such a good support system within ourselves that we could kind of, we could kind of read like a, a, a bad offer, if you will. And bands that haven't put out a record or put out one record tend to get pretty much bad offers unless somebody is looking out for them. So we turned down a lot of um, large labels that, you know, wanted everything, wanted to own everything from us. And we were like, I don't think we have to do that. Doesn't this. feel right. <laughs> We've already sold 10,000 records. We're on, we're touring ourselves. We just got a promoter or we, excuse me, we just got a booking agent managers are chasing us like i don't think we have to say yes to that really bad offer and that i think is a lesson that um you know i i'm, I'm again i'm just very thankful to have to have had the other five members around me because i don't know that i would have had that type of insight um and i've seen a lot of other artists not have that uh, awareness and sign some pretty bad contracts and sometimes it you know sometimes they don't make it back i mean your your record can get shelved and then they get dropped and they move on to something else and it's sad because they're phenomenal songwriters. Um, but let's keep it glass half full. I mean, we were eventually, we did find the right home and that was sub pop for us for the first two records. Um, and um, How much yeah. do you think that the internet played into giving you the confidence that maybe you didn't need, you know, someone taking over your life and marketing for you, you know, that, that you guys were reaching your fan base maybe or more organically? That's a great question. And I, and I probably don't think about it as often as I should, because you're right. I mean, I didn't really, I really kind of was around the time when Facebook, MySpace, um, iTunes, even like, I remember we got our, we were getting royalty checks from iTunes. Like that was our income. We, when we all got fired from our jobs, we managed to get our first record on iTunes again before a label um there was definitely some support and help i'd say between the internet but also i mean i guess in junction with the internet is just like these you know these bloggers these music writers um who were just such champions of music for out of seattle and then to use the internet obviously as its platform was huge um but again i think i just want to you know make sure to give some love to those local those people on the ground in seattle who we're writing about us, you know, and KEXP 
the local radio station there. I mean, I remember when we first started doing our like our first national tour outside of the Pacific Northwest. We played a show somewhere in like Mississippi, and I was just like, "How, how did you guys hear of us?" And they were like, "We saw you on KXP," and I was just like, "It's amazing." So yes, the internet. I mean, you're right. That's a really good <laughs> point. Like, that's a great point. So, how did your life change after you put out your first album? So you know, you signed a sub pop, mm-hmm. you released the album. Did you immediately go out on tour? What happened next? Yes. So we had actually been touring quite a bit before we got signed to Sub Pop. Um, by the time that happened, it was it was like a really great <clears throat> moment when we got signed to Sub Pop because it was getting to the point where, you know, there was, I think there was like four of us in an apartment, um, a two bedroom apartment. Um, we had all lost our, our, our day jobs because we were touring so often that we weren't around enough to take our shifts. Um, and it was just kind of getting to the point where enough people had it, like half the people in the band had gone to college, they did have degrees and it was kind of getting to that point of like, is this going to pan out? And I'm like, I don't, I can't guarantee that. I think our music is, is worth you continuing to, to, to give effort. And so we kept persevering and, and then we got signed and, you know, from a, from an independent label on your first record, you're not making a ton of money off of it, but you're making enough to pay your bills and just the confidence boost you get, which feels like, Hey, someone sees you, they hear you. They, it's a stamp of like, this is legit now, you know, so I can, let's keep going. This is working. Was it a Uh, tough decision when all of you have other talents and you could have done anything in your life really? to make the decision to be a full-time musician, musician and was it hard or was it just, well, me, we're doing no, it? Kind of, for me, it's kind of the total opposite. I actually have very few skill sets other than writing <laughs> songs. I'm not going to lie to you. I don't um, think so. <laughs> well, I don't know. I once had a, I once had someone come up to me in a, in a grocery store in Seattle and say, you know, cause, cause my band played there as a trio um, right before I got fired from there. And they were like, you know, you're a much better singer than you are a server. And I was like, <laughs> Yeah, that's that's you kind of being kind of being nice, but mostly being rude. But I appreciate it, and I think you're right. Um, no, I, I honestly, I mean, even when it was getting to the point where you know now we are signed and now we are relentlessly touring around the country in a van, that's not necessarily when it becomes easy. It just becomes that you've gotten through one set of hurdles. But there were all there were moments where you know tension is high, emotions are running high, you're stressed out, you're you've, you're there's a lack of sleep you know, there's still plenty of question marks and you're like, you're going through your head of like, you know, I, I, if I leave right now, what does my life look like? And it, for me, that was like, well, that's going to mean I'm going to be flipping burgers again. And I was like, well, at least I could write songs and not just have to be on the road all the time. So as a songwriter, even, uh, even though like we were making it, I was actually quite frustrated because there was no time to stop and work on new material we just had to keep going it was like you're like a startup business you know you just you're gonna get these offers and you're who knows if you're gonna get another one so let's say yet let's say yes to that let's say yes to that let's say yes to that i mean for those first few years and we were gone like we didn't see friends we didn't see family um we became our own family um and i'm i'm fortunate i'm i feel fortunate that we made it through all of that because looking back on it now i mean i like what were some of the challenges that you faced? Uh, just um, the 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 amount that you are away 
you know, it's kind of like, be careful what you, you ask for, you know, we got what we asked for and we finally had some, we, you know, we had like a, our own album on vinyl, on a music label, on a music label, a cool music label who supported you and are going to help you continue to grow and keep you out on the road, which is how you make money and how you get your name out there. Um, but you know, you're, there's very few time, there's very little time for yourself and for you to visit your family or your friends. And it might not sound like that much, but like, it just eventually really shapes you in a way where, um, I don't know. I mean, I, I literally hadn't seen some friends in probably four years after when that happened, like, especially ones back in Virginia. Um, it's just a very, everything you do is on a very extreme level, you know? Um, and I'm not complaining. I, I, I don't know if I could, but I would at least try and do it again if I was asked to. I mean, it's, this is my dream for sure, but it, it was a trying time, you know, um, sleeping on floors, <laughs> sleep, <laughs> sleeping four to a bed in a hotel room because you can only afford two rooms, sleeping in a van with like crowbars because you're in a sketchy part of town. If somebody breaks in, you take shifts. You know, it's not a very like... Um, it's yeah, you have all your gear with you, so you got to be stressed about that too. Yeah, I remember my first time playing a show in San Francisco long before I ever thought I would live there. Um, we were playing in the Tenderloin, which is like the sketchiest area of town, and staying there because it was the cheapest room in town. And so it was my turn to be the guy who sleeps in the van that night <laughs> to watch the gear. And I just remember hugging this crowbar like <laughs> people. There's people on drugs around you all night long, like just stand up like screaming with no idea what's happening around you cop sirens all the time I mean, it was not a it was not an enjoyable evening um and that's you know that's an example and also you know what we were 26 and like you can handle it but um it would be quite some time before you were able to really have some sort of like normalcy and like try and have a lasting relationship with someone and and having really domestic things, which now I'm now 37 when we just had two years of being off the road. Um, I'm like, I'm a total indoor cat now. I, I love the grocery store. I love doing Do you cook? <laughs> cooking. My wife's better at it, but we both, we share it. We both split it. I have my recipe. She has hers. Um, and to be honest with you, I'm a little like, we go, we start going, we, we begin to go back out on tour here in the next few weeks. And, um, I don't know. I'm not going to lie. I feel a little soft now. It's been two years of just like being a husband, which is pretty great. Pretty great. And um, maybe that's the silver lining that we've all had here in that we've all been able to spend time with people we care about and really quality time on a certain level. And um, but it is kind of stressful to think about getting back out there and and starting up that whole thing again, I'm sure. Yeah, the priorities have shifted, you know, and like half this mm. band has, um, like Chris, our bass player, has two kids now. Um, Tyler, our drummer, has a daughter, Maddie and Charity, who are both in the band and they're married. They just had their first daughter. She's 15 months old. And so she will be coming on tour with us. Um, and we will have a nanny with us um, on the bus. We're no longer in a van. We're in a couple buses now. Um but also at the same time, I mean, to talk, to speak on the silver lining of the last two years, we really, we took a lot of time to, to sort of rip off the band-aids. There's a lot of things that we as individuals in a collective weren't necessarily saying to one another. And you just kind of let these, these resentments build up and fester. 
Um, cause if you think about it, I mean, there's very few times when you're not in a high pressure situation where you're not about to walk on stage where 10,000 people just paid money to see you. That's, you don't want to bring it up there nope. you don't want to bring it up after <laughs> because somebody's one person had a bad show and they've already had a beer. So that's a bad time in the morning. People it's you're groggy. And then half of us have to go to the radio station. So you don't want anybody in tears or upset. And then there's sound check. There just is. There's very few time in the day when you're in that grueling cycle to 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 sit down and have like a real blunt conversation about something that might be bothering you. So we had quite a list of things that we needed to deal with. And to the credit of really charity, of really just like being like guys, I'm telling you, we should we should bring in someone professional and, and work with them. And she was right. I mean, we we have grown a lot. Um, as, as people, as friends, as musicians, as a family. Um, so I feel like, yes, I'm a little like, okay, wow, we're about to turn the lights back on and get this machine up and running again. It's been a while, but I also feel like we're the most well-equipped we've ever been in our lives to handle it. Um, so here we go. Well, I want to talk about the new album because, mm-hmm. uh, every shade of blue and we're kind of leading up to that because were you writing that during COVID or had you already started writing the songs before COVID? How did that happen? Um, both, both scenarios. Um, I think fortunately I, I had, and as well as Maddie and Charity, who also write songs, we had, we had a, a list of songs that we had been working on for a while. There are a few songs that came through leading right up and right up until I guess May or, or excuse me, March, early March of 2020. Um, and then I think maybe sometime in like early 2021 when I got vaccinated, I, I did a little more writing. So it's kind of a, it's kind of a, a mixed bag. I mean, there were some songs that were written long before this happened. Um, others that were written right up to the front. I mean, there's a song, that's actually not going to be on this record until the vinyl comes out. So you, we had, no one's actually even seen that, but there's a song called back in its place. And it was written one week before I had any idea that this was going to be happen happening. It's kind of freaky. Um, and then the song every shade of blue, for instance, was, I think, I believe that was 2021. And that was like, we had been through it for about nine months and it was, um, to the point where the world was like, what is happening? You know? Um, what does the, every shade of blue mean? What, what yeah. is the meaning behind it? Right. Um, you know, for me, to me, it's like, I think of the color blue as something that can represent like a vast, almost intimidating sea that can swallow you. And that's a sort of a anxiety feeling. Or it could be like a clear blue sky on a spring day that's gonna makes you feel like there's no limit to anything you can do. So to me, the, the concept of every shade of blue is kind of how I wanted this record to feel, like this umbrella of emotions that we all kind of span, I think, from from one end to the next through, throughout this, the last two years that we've been living through. There were certain things that came from this pandemic that it was just like, thank God, like I never would have been able to say no to that. Now I don't have to do it because we're stuck at home. Like I needed that. And then there's other situations that were terrifying and some people lost their lives, which is awful. And families have gone through hardships that they've never gone or hadn't gone through. And so to me, it's, it, it was my way of symbolically trying to kind of cover that spectrum of emotion um, without hitting the nail on the head, you know, without saying, Hey, we just went through a pandemic. 
because I personally don't want to have to like relive the idea that we just went through a pandemic every day in my life. So I try to like create a veil um, that you can, if you want to read into it, you can tell that that's kind of what I'm getting at, but it's not right in your face. I don't want, I don't want to be reminding people every day. Like, remember that, remember that, remember that? <laughs> like, we know <laughs> we went through it too. PTSD. It's like, ah, uh, I can't mm-hmm. take it anymore. Um, yeah. Well, to some degree with the shades of blue, does that reflect what the band was going through emotionally as well? Kind of the different, yeah. different emotions that you guys were maybe bringing to the surface? Yeah, I mean, it was most likely. I think you're probably right. Yeah. Um, I mean, we're still working through, we will be working through things, I'm sure, for years. You know, this is a is one large family and we've been together for 12 years and the idea is to try to stay together for you know another decade or more you know um i've been listening to a lot of podcasts recently about the red hot chili peppers releasing a new record um and i i'm, I'm a fan of theirs i'm not like a diehard fan of theirs but um i've just been reading and listening to the most compelling and interesting perspectives and stories of what they went through um and they've been together for almost 40 years and they've had bandmates come and go and what they went through recently and the, the sort of like the emotion, the relationship, the connection behind themselves as a family, as a band um, is really what makes the art, you know? And I, I will say, I think that's the same case for us in this band and this record, this art really reflects our relationships. And I think we've, you can tell, you can, whether you know that narrative or not, once you find out, it, I think it makes sense to me. This almost feels like a celebration. It feels like people working through hardship, also finding beauty and listening to one another again and trusting one another again. And, you know, when you have trust, you can really be very vulnerable. And the more vulnerable you can be as a musician, the better your art is because you give out your whole self. You don't hold anything back. And um, I think it's it's been a while since we've been like that as, as artists in this band. So... It's nice do, you, to be. do you find it hard to put out a song when it's really something that affects you personally and you're kind of putting yourself out there and wondering if someone's going to like this song or what their interpretation is going to be or how it reflects on you? Yeah. You know, that, 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 that's a great question. In the beginning, it really did. I used to take it very personally. Um, <clears throat> I think I've sort of... I've grown, I've grown up a little bit, but I've also seen, I've also started to see the beauty of, of letting go of something. Once a song is out into the world, I mean, just accept the fact, like there's owners, everyone else has ownership over the song now. But the beauty in it is that other people, they'll hear something and they'll hear themselves in it. And they'll think the song is about something completely different than I wrote it about. And I think that's really interesting. I think that's great. You know, it's almost like it serves as this vessel, this, thing that they need it to be for themselves and why take that away from them you know i i have it i already have my version of it um i think it's great i think it's really interesting that, that that's how humans can connect to something so personally that i never could have known that person would you know i don't know that person's story and somehow to them they think it's about them and that's that's just that's crazy it's a great it's a great feeling so um I always so find it interest I always find it interesting that a song could be written at a certain point in an artist's life and maybe that reflects that moment in the artist's life 
And you may have to continue to play that song throughout your career because maybe it was a hit and people want to continue to hear it. And does that song evolve for you in its meaning? Um, it's just connecting to new, a new yeah. audience, maybe with that same meaning, but maybe you're not in the same place anymore. <laughs> right. Spot on. No, I mean, that's, you're nailing it. I mean, there's a song of ours called Lost in My Mind that um, was kind of a fan favorite. It was like, I think it was our first, like, number one single, you know, in the band's career. And I wrote that song about my brother. You know, it's like he had he had gotten out of the military and was doing excavation work, still is. Um, but kind of like he was in living in Wyoming, <laughs> He, he was in, he was a little lost at the moment at the time. And I was also feeling lost. I would, I had lived in Seattle for about a year at that time. And I was just like, our poor mother is just back in Virginia and Jeremy's in Wyoming and I'm in Seattle. Like, what are we doing with our lives? Like, what is this? So I was sort of using that chorus. Like, how's that prickling coming? How's that engine running? Is that bridge getting built? Are your hands getting filled? Like full, the idea of fulfillment sort of playing on the notion that he's also you know, working and, you know, <laughs> creating ditches, fixing bridges and sort of playing with the metaphor there. But um, ultimately that was a very personal, it was my way of sending that out to the universe down to my brother and like, hey, I see you're struggling. I'm struggling too. We're two adult men and we're not, we're not gonna say, we're not gonna call each other and be like, I'm having a hard time out here, how are you doing? <laughs> we just weren't gonna do that yet. You know, we weren't, we weren't as evolved as, as we are now. And, and um, so how do you deal with it? You write a song about it and, um, that that's kind of one of those examples where in the beginning, anytime somebody would come up to me and be like, I love that song. It's, you know, it's every time I hear it, it makes me think of this. And I would just, in my head, I'd be like, but it's not about that. It's about me and my brother. <laughs> <laughs> like I've, I've long since gotten over that. And now to, to your last point, your, your most current point, you're totally right. I mean, we'll be, I'll be performing and I'll see these people, whether they could be 16, they could be 64 and they, their eyes can be closed or they can just be staring up at somebody be with someone and they are, they're, the meaning of that song, there's no way I can know what, what it's, how it's connecting with them, but you can see this connection with them and they've never met my brother. They don't know me that well. And it's just so interesting. You just, it's, yeah, the, it's letting go and really finding the beauty in that, that evolution process, that process of it evolving for these people as they continue to hear it. And it changes the meaning, um, Sometimes even for yourself, you know? Um, yeah, it's, songs are a strange thing. Where do they come from? I don't know. So how many songs on the new album? Well, there's 16. There's 16 so far. Um, we have a few more in the works that might be coming out on a second edition, but um, the record that's coming out on April 29th, it's 16 songs. Neil Warner, we have to say. Yep, Neil Warner, Warner Records, yep. Um, yeah, it's a long record, but it was a long, it was a long pandemic, wasn't it? Um, <laughs> we didn't want to, we typically, we try and like whittle things down to sort of a digestible 12 song record. Um, you know, that's kind of what we've done in the past. And it just felt, it felt like a lie to do that, to be honest with you. There was just, there, you know, there were things that we came out looking a little ugly or like feeling like we had to scratch and claw our way back. I wanted to leave all that in, you know, I wanted to leave in the, the irregularity, I guess, of, of what, how we all kind of made our way through these last two years, 
trying to pretend like it was just another another couple of years and here's another record by another band it just didn't seem right so we left in all of the we just left in every color and we left in every shade of blue there you go so in where did you record it we recorded half half kind of on our own at home um around april 2020 we we realized that this was probably going to be longer than we may know or it's going to be we don't know how long this will take so we started making sure everybody had a basic package to record from their own homes and we had some help from our crew that we would tour with that also understood how to like record in studios and so we would interface with them and they kind of helped us get over that learning curve of like how are we supposed to do this at home we don't know how to record ourselves it was a pretty quick learning curve but we persevered and um it kind of allowed for some freedom to be honest with you i mean there was um some people in this band like myself i really enjoy pressure cooked just like like scenarios i like it when there's six people in a room and you've got to move quick and like best idea wins like I'm, i guess i'm a little competitive in that way on the other hand there's people who are much quieter and they're a little more passive at first and, and they really benefit from having time to sit with an idea before they present it so for them, um, this was kind of a godsend. I mean, they were like, they had all the time in the world to like kind of noodle around on, in their own world before we ever heard them and they would send it to us. Um, so some really interesting things came from, from that option. Um, but eventually we all got our vaccinations and we're dying to get together in person um, just for the feeling and, and there's, there's really no way to replace that. So we then all got back together in Seattle, Washington at the same studio called Litho, where we recorded our first two records. So it was almost like this kind of homecoming feeling. Um, and yeah. I mean, did, did you decide on the fly which songs were going on the album or was that already decided before you got to the studio? It kind of, they kind of reveal themselves through the process. I mean, mm -hmm. sometimes the songs that you really think are going to be like this one for sure, it's going to click with everyone and we're going to improve this song. And, uh, you know, sometimes that just doesn't happen. Sometimes you're, you're like, we're, we're working a little too hard on this. This isn't coming out naturally. And I think honestly, we've made it worse than we started. Um, and then you, for, for us, fortunately, I think we had a batch of about 25 songs. Um, and so there are some that didn't make the record, um, but I don't know. There's just sort of this like little instinctive feeling of this one fits this record or this one doesn't fit the record. It's kind of as simple as that. Um, yeah, I don't know how to put it into words. <laughs> so exciting times. The album's coming out the 29th and then you're yeah. going on tour. What are you most looking forward to getting back on tour? Um, the camaraderie I miss, you know, like, like earlier I was saying, you know, I worked in restaurants from when I was 14 to 23 and even on a really bad day, that camaraderie you share with your coworkers and your crew and your world that you live in, like they have your back, you have their back on the best days. It's great. On the worst days, they, they have your back and you have their back. And, um, there's something really familial about that about, I mean, we're kind of like a traveling circus and I miss my people. I haven't seen them in so long. Um, I also miss the fans a lot. I'm so excited. I mean, I don't, I don't, I haven't had that feeling since November of 2019, you know? Um, 
none of us have in this band having, having all played together as the head and the heart in front of our fans um and we have some really good fans um we've got we've got really amazing fans so i i guess i mean really everything i can't wait for i'm I feel like I need to pace myself because I'm going to get out there and be like, this is bloody, this is great. This is great. This is great. So I need to remember like eight hours of sleep, <laughs> eat three meals a day. Um, yeah, I'm excited. I'm looking forward to all of it. I know that's not a very exciting answer, but it's genuine. I, I can't wait for to see the fans again, to see my, 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 my band members and the crew. And it's just nothing, but it's just that feeling of like working your butt off for let's be honest for two hours of, of music and the amount that goes into that every single day i mean it's just i don't know it brings you close you know you're you you end up getting really close with your crew and your band members and it feels like you against like us against the world um and it's a great feeling and then every night you get to go out there and meet these these fans that flew in or drove in from god knows how far away and you hear their stories. I don't know. It's, it's a beautiful thing. The whole, I'm hungry for it. It's been a while. Um, well, as a fan, Jonathan, uh, I can't wait to see you back out on tour. So uh, hopefully you're coming somewhere in the Tennessee area, but oh yeah. Uh, oh yeah. you'll get, get somewhere close so that we can come see you. But uh, congratulations on the new album, Every Shade of Blue, the new tour. Um, thank you for stopping by. It was a pleasure talking to you. Thank you so much, Amy, for having me and um, for your time and this in-depth interview. It's been, I've been, I've really enjoyed it. So um, yeah, if we don't see you in Memphis, I'm sure we'll get as close as we can, but hopefully we'll see you in Memphis. I miss Memphis. Yeah. Come see us in Memphis for sure. Yeah. yeah. All you right. know, big fans. So yeah. Well, thank you so much, Amy. Take care. Wrapping up another hour of musical conversation here on Insights. Thank you so much to Jonathan Russell of The Head and the Heart for stopping by to discuss the band's new album, Every Shade of Blue. The Head and the Heart have officially embarked on the Every Shade of Blue 2022 North American Tour, with guests joining the band in select cities including Shaky Graves, Dawes, Jade Bird, and His Golden Messenger. And tickets are on sale now at theheadandtheheart.com. Order the album, get your show tickets, and don't forget to tell a friend. From all of us at Diddy TV, thanks again for tuning in today, and we hope to see you again soon, right here on Insights.